press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Wednesday, February 8. A painful squeeze. That's how Reserve Bank boss Phil Lowe is describing the effect of nine rate rises in a row. The bank hiked its target cash rate from 3.1 to 3.35% and warned of more to come. Treasurer Jim Chalmers says the government can't get involved in monetary policy. It's our job to focus on the broader pressures that are coming at us from around the world and being felt around the kitchen tables of this country. The alphabet, times tables, and now the Uluru Statement from the Heart. School children are learning about the voice referendum in a move backed by education departments which say it's all part of current affairs discussion. But opponents say children are being indoctrinated. The government has scrambled to fix a legal hole over Nauru. Laws nominating the island as an asylum seeker processing site were allowed to lapse. The opposition says it was a blunder. It lapsed on 1 October 2022. Did you hear that? That date that it actually lapsed? That the relevant minister had their eye off the ball? 14,000 people in the Department of Home Affairs, and they missed that. The Greens want anyone being held offshore to be allowed to come to the mainland for processing. So that's the test for the Labor Party, and I urge them to support our bill and finally help us to write an end to one of the darkest, bloodiest and foulest chapters in Australia's story, the chapter of offshore detention. In today's episode, where Labor really stands on offshore processing. Four months, that's how long it's been since the government has been able to send a single asylum seeker to Nauru for processing. And it represents a major immigration fumble from the government who really hasn't had to grapple with this issue since coming to government. Sarah Ison is a political reporter with The Australian and she joins me now. Sarah, tell me about what's happening right now. The government's legislation, what does it do and why was this allowed to lapse? So the legislation basically designates Nauru as an offshore processing country. Now, why was it allowed to lapse? We were all scratching our heads about this on Tuesday in the first sitting week of Parliament when Katie Gallagher, the leader of Labor's business in the Senate, she put a motion on talking about redesignating Nauru. And what that prompted from the coalition and journalists was, when was it not designated? When did this lapse? And sure enough, if you go and you look, you can see quite clearly that the Migration Act that does formally designate Nauru as an offshore processing site had sunsetted in October. And we're now four months on. So it raised a bunch of questions, of course, prompted a pretty harsh attack from the coalition and really begged the question of what happened here. Do you think the government knew that the legislation was about to sunset? From what I understand, the government didn't know and the government wasn't even informed until December, which is actually two months after it sunsetted. So that's from Home Affairs and people within government, which is pretty extraordinary and also doesn't track with general understandings of how these things work. So as much as that's what we're being briefed and backgrounded on, 
which I don't think we'll necessarily know the answers to beyond the government saying we didn't realise this was happening or had happened. We redesignated Nauru then as soon as we could, which is the second day of the first sending week of the year. This is the second piece of legislation that's been allowed to lapse in as many months, the first being the Stronger Futures legislation in Alice Springs that was passed under the Morrison government. Of course, in that instance, the government made a conscious choice to let that legislation lapse. What does this one tell us about the legacy that a government inherits of existing systems and the work that's needed to be done to just keep things going? Yeah, I don't think anyone was expecting to see this kind of, I guess, bungle. It's a pretty major piece of legislation, different to the Stronger Futures lapsing, where the government did receive letters from advocates saying, don't let this lapse. It definitely opens up a line of fire from the coalition. So it's really done some political damage. Federal Labor has a reputation for being pretty efficient parliamentary managers. In fact, that is one of Anthony Albanese's key characteristics. He's been an efficient manager of parliamentary business in the past. What are they saying about this issue? Well, what they're actually saying is the lapsing of this legislation wouldn't necessarily have meant that people couldn't have been sent off to Nauru. And what they're saying is that really what this legislation does is that it just simplifies powers and processes that exist over a number of pieces of legislation and across a number of portfolios. That, of course, made me question, why then are you even reintroducing this in that case? And what I was told was, like we said, it simplifies and streamlines things, so we do need it in place. So it gets pretty technical, but I don't think there's any denying it was a blunder. Stay with us after the break. Sarah Ison on what happens to boats and people under labour. My name is Manny Karoudis, and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts. Sarah, legislation to redesignate Nauru as an offshore processing site was passed on Tuesday after a mad scramble on the government's part. Saving lives through difficult choices may be tough, but it is also humane and it has been shown to work. I hope that this resolution proceeds without the rancour that has been associated with these debates in the past. This country knows only too well, measured in the lives of those lost forever at sea. For that reason alone, I commend the resolution to the House. Tell me a bit about how it's going to operate going forward. It's really returned to business as usual in a sense. So the government did have to introduce this legislation that categorises Nauru as a regional offshore centre, but in a sense it's just reverting back to the way things were in October. However, what we are seeing is Labor trying to get everyone off Nauru. So there's been a deal signed with New Zealand, and that happened last year under the coalition, to resettle those detainees in New Zealand. Australia and New Zealand have signed a refugee resettlement deal that's been almost a decade in the making. New Zealand has announced it will resettle 150 refugees each year for three years from Australia's offshore detention centres. 
And we have seen a lot of them start to land and so on. However, there are still just under 70 people on Nauru. So the job is far from done. So what do we know about those people? Well, Claire O'Neill, the Home Affairs Minister, she said that the remaining cases are difficult, which is, you know, a bit of a vague sentence, but that Labor was working as hard as it could and as fast as it could to resolve them. So there seems the last cases have some kinds of complications or technicalities. Labor hasn't said that they're ruling anything out, but it does seem to be a concession. Things are moving slower than hoped. It wouldn't be surprising if Labor had some boat-related PTSD. Of course, a previous attempt to dismantle the offshore processing system saw the return of boats. It's been something that the coalition has very successfully punished Labor for. And for Anthony Albanese, of course, who's of the left of Labor, this is a real point of principle, isn't it? Where do you think ideologically this government is on what used to be called Operation Sovereign Borders? I think it's something that they were really confronted with during the election, where I think the coalition particularly tried to weaponise it and they became quite aware of that and wanting to make sure that that didn't become a point of contention. But Labor didn't want those battle lines to be drawn in that way. So as much as Anthony Albanese said that, you know, with boat turnbacks we don't need offshore processing, which was somewhat of a gaffe that he later clarified wasn't quite what he meant. He meant boat turnbacks are his preference. Labor did make clear their policies are pretty much exactly the same as the coalition on the theme of border control and so on. Sarah, Australians have become pretty used to there being official silence on what's going on. Scott Morrison used to call it on water matters and refused to talk about it at all. But we do know something about the frequency of boat arrivals, don't we? Yeah, we hear from the Australian Border Force every month regarding the number of arrivals and often the number of turnbacks each month. Many of these monthly reports include none, zero. It's not something that's all that frequent. But in December, for instance, there was one turnback that was carrying 16 people. So it's infrequent, I think, at least at this point in time, but it is still happening. It's not something that was a matter for five, ten years ago and isn't taking place anymore. This is still an active operation that's going on. It's not something that's in the public mind at the moment. People have got a lot of other things to worry about. Presumably the opposition would like us to be talking about it a lot more than we are. I think it's a difficult one, particularly for the opposition, because it is one that they've painted Labor as weak on borders, but they've also talked about how important this particular topic is. And it is easy for them to be accused of politicising national security and things like this. So at least for the coalition, it's a bit of a balancing act. And as you said, a lot of this is kind of happening behind the scenes, behind the curtain for different reasons. Every time we talk about this or publish something about this, no matter sort of the the tilt of the story or the topic, there is a risk for people overseas to read that and then exploit vulnerable and desperate people and say, pay me everything basically that you have and I'll smuggle you over. So that's why, in a way, there's an interest from most sides of politics, like it would look bad on Labor if there was heaps of chaos on the border, but the coalition broadly doesn't want to inherit a position like that in a few years either. But that is why, in in large part, it's not something that we're really talking about. 
One of Australia's fiercest critics on this issue is Beiruz Bouchani, a Kurdish-Iranian journalist who was held on Manus Island for several years before ultimately being resettled to New Zealand. He's back in the public conversation. What's he saying? Well, he's actually calling for a royal commission in Australia for the treatment of asylum seekers, and that's for obvious reasons. He wants to really have the treatment of these people and often some pretty opaque processes when it comes to offshore processing brought to the public light. Now, Labor and the Coalition are really unlikely to talk much about this, but broadly don't have a heap of political interest in backing it or doing anything of that nature. But there are many people in Parliament that do want to see something like this happen. The Greens, the third biggest party in Parliament, and also actually most of the Teals and Independents want to see this as well. Here's Independent Kylie Tink. What actually has been the impact of this strategy on the people who have been captured within it? So the physical effects, the mental health effects, the separation effects, and what's been the impact on our country's psyche as well as our international reputation? So we've seen this push that becomes less about will this happen because without Labor or the Coalition, it wouldn't, but more about the optics of having a lot of different voices from really well-known refugees, but also different teal independents who Labor doesn't want to be seen as too adversarial with. They're all calling for this. So it becomes a very visual pressure that Labor has to then kind of deftly handle. Sarah Eisen is a political journalist with The Australian. There's a fresh crisis in aged care with thousands of patients languishing in public hospitals because the aged and disability care systems aren't able to take them. You can check out that story and all the rest of the nation's best news, business, sport and politics right now at theaustralian.com.au. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth and I thought he was dead. Another one been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.